our class, we can take our books, and if you need a book, I've got some here on the life of Joseph as we get started to get today, lesson number two. Anybody need this book? Austin, you probably do. Anybody else? All right, I've got some if you need them, so let me know. We are in lesson number two, page nine, and if you have a Bible memory verse you want to try out on us, we are ready. Joyce. That's our verse for today. Anybody else? Any verse at all? No, Janie. She's not here. Not yet, anyway. All right, Joyce, I guess you're the only one. And there are some goodies in here. They're not all just the same old thing. Just Joyce, not Ron. <clears throat> all right, so lesson number two, page nine. And we're going to be, of course, in the book of Genesis and uh, going through and talking about Joseph and the different things uh, in the life of Joseph. So Genesis uh, chapter 37 is where we'll start. Thanks. And um, <clears throat> verse 1, Genesis 37. This is where we pick up and and learn about Joseph. But he, he, he was born, obviously, beforehand, but he's 17 years old when we really start to see him. And so Genesis 37 and uh, verse 1. Uh, Norman, did you get one of these books? Okay. So Genesis 37, 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his, his brethren they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him so that's where we first really see joseph but that's at age 17 joseph has been living for the first uh, 17 years of his life without us really seeing a whole lot uh, but we can pick up some things and realize some things about him and today's lesson is about strength out of sorrow in other words, God prepares us and, and equips us and allows us to go through things in our life to get us to where he wants us to be. So even though we don't really get introduced until age 17, Joseph was a person who was a real person for the first 17 years of his life who endured some things and, and put up with some things that, that we don't necessarily think about a lot. But for instance, he was obviously his father's favorite son. That's not a good thing. It's not even a good thing for Joseph. It had to have been... Uh, a, a difficult thing as, as it resulted in his brothers selling him and throwing him in a pit and wanting to kill him. Uh, and so I, I, I think everybody in here knows this, but don't play favorites with your kids. That's terrible. But because he had two wives and because his favorite wife, son, was Joseph, then he naturally uh, liked Joseph the best and, and favored him. And that was bad. That was not good. Uh, Joseph had to endure some stuff because of that. Uh, he wasn't the oldest. <clears throat> he was a lot younger than the oldest. And so he probably got picked on, maybe uh, was, I'm sure, was not treated well. I'm sure was never uh, in, enjoyed probably a lot of his home life with his brothers, even before we see what they did in throwing him into the pit and all that. So when we first read of Joseph in these verses, <clears throat> however, this story really begins 17 years before all this. When Joseph was young, God allowed him to go through things. 
which strengthened him and prepared him to be the man God desired for him to be. I'm reminded of David as I read about this. You know, David was the younger of the brothers. And and David learned to rely on God. We know that David uh, was a shepherd of sheep and the, he wrote and sang a lot of those psalms that we have in our Bible and walked with God and got close to God. And I can see Joseph, even before David ever existed, Joseph doing the same thing and, and having a close walk with the Lord. Part of the reason why I see that is because of the dreams that he had. Those dreams happened before he was 17, and he was dreaming those things and thinking about maybe what God was, was doing in his life or having uh, maybe some hints from God. But there were some things going on in his life, and we're going to look at those today. Um, God allowed him to go through things go through things and they strengthened him and so in your life and in your children's life and in your grandchildren's life or in the lives of other children that we know and are associated with in our church or or in our neighborhood God allows things for a reason and there are children who have to endure things and go through things that are not easy they're tough I think one of the biggest crimes that we've ever committed against each other is trying to make everything fair that's a terrible thing what an awful thing to try to make everything even. You know what? God does things for a reason. How do we get good caliber people unless they've endured something? If everything's even all the time, how do you ever have a leader? That's impossible. There, there's got to be some challenges. There's got to be some struggles. And when you see your child with a broken heart, I understand the sympathy and the empathy and the compassion. But that doesn't mean you need to go buy him something. That doesn't mean you need to equalize it. And I don't know what all was going on in Joseph's life, but I think God, let's just say it this way. God looked down and said, God, I, I've got to get I've got to get this kid away from his dad. He'll never be what I need him to be if he's just going to be around his dad all the time. That could be part of the reason why at age 17 he was hauled off to Egypt. I'm just saying there's a lot of background here to this story that we don't necessarily think about. But here's some things we know from the Bible that Joseph experienced. We know these things. Even though we don't start reading about it until age 17, we know some things had to have been part of his life because he was in this family. Joseph had an amazing heritage. He was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. His grandfather Isaac was still alive when Joseph was a boy. And so he, he grew up in a very unusual situation. His dad had two wives, and they were sisters. You talk about a recipe for disaster. He married two sisters. In fact, later on, the, the law says don't do that. I mean, it just flat out says do not take two wives that are sisters, and, of course, don't take two wives. Uh, that's just not a good idea. And uh, Jacob is the example of how not to do some things. Well, these two sisters, they had sons. These sons fought. They didn't necessarily get along very well. In fact, the two sisters didn't have all the sons. Those sisters had concubines or, or, or excuse me, uh, nurses and things that Jacob used as concubines. And they also had some of those sons. And so it was, it was actually four different women who had all these sons. Not a good situation. Not a great recipe for a good family home. But on top of that, Jacob had experienced some things, and Joseph had, had, to, had to experience those things along with Jacob just because he was Jacob's son. And back in Genesis chapter 24, in verse 59, Genesis 24, in verse 59, it says, when they, when they allowed Rebekah to go with Abraham's servant to be the wife of Isaac, um, Laban and his family, this would have been way before Jacob was born, 
or and let alone Joseph. But when Grandpa Isaac was going to get married, Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. And when they determined that Rebekah would go and she would marry Isaac, it says in verse twenty or verse fifty nine of chapter twenty four, they sent away Rebekah their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men and they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions and let thy seed possess, possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way and came to Isaac. And so we see that this is where we first learn about someone named Deborah. Now we go to chapter 35. Now this is before we ever really are introduced to Joseph as a person. But we know he's alive now <clears throat> because Isaac and Rebekah had children. And those children were Jacob and Esau, twin boys. And Jacob is the one that we follow more than Esau as far as the, the, the history. So Isaac and Rebekah's son Jacob, of course Jacob was a, a liar and a, and, a, and a deceiver and deceived his father and deceived uh, his his brother and, and uh, kind of got the birthright in a roundabout way and and so then Jacob had to run off and leave and I don't think uh, his his mother ever saw him again Rebecca never saw Jacob again as far as I know and uh, and so Grandma Rebecca would have been Joseph's grandma but she died before they ever got home because Jacob spent at least twenty years plus of his life out of town out of country. When Jacob finally came back, he didn't come back single. He had four women who were all uh, kind of his wives, two, two wives and uh, two concubines, and then all these sons. In chapter 35 and verse number, uh, well, let's just read. Verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, get thee up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. So finally, after all these years, he's coming back to Bethel. It's been, it's been decades. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. I want to ask a question right there. Why do they have strange gods? Doesn't he know better? Verse 3, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And so they're getting right with the Lord. Jacob is finally cleaning house. Verse 5, And they journeyed, and terror of the Lord was upon the cities which were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means God, the house of God, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, the one we just read about back in chapter 24, Deborah, the nurse of Rebekah, Grandma Rebekah's nurse, Jacob's mother's nurse, died. And she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Elon Bakuth. So what we see here is we see the death of someone. I don't know exactly how old Joseph is here, but he's a teenager. He's a young man. Because Grandma Rebecca probably never, ever saw him, and he never saw her, probably Deborah was kind of served as Grandma Deborah. In other words, that's Deborah, my grandmother's nurse. And so I think probably Grandma Deborah was somewhat special to them because that was the closest thing to Grandma they ever knew all right well let's keep reading 
verse 9, And God appeared unto Jacob again and he, when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall thy, be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. It's amazing how God speaks to us and gives us blessings when we finally get rid of our gods. You know what I mean? When we find the clean house, when we finally get right with God and get back to the house of God, it's amazing how all of a sudden we can hear from God again. That's a lesson for us to learn. Verse 13, and God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering up thereon and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, or Ephrata. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. Now this is jo- Joseph's mother. And she only got pregnant twice, once with Joseph and once with his little brother Benjamin. And she had hard labor. Verse 17, it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died that she called his name Benoni. And Benoni means the son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, unto this day there in Bethlehem. And so right there after losing grandma, quote-unquote, grandma Deborah, Now he's lost his mother. He's still a teenager. I don't know how old he is, if he's 14, 15. I don't know. That's pretty young to lose your mom. And and she lost him in childbirth. And so little baby Benjamin, uh, as he was born, she was dying. What a heartache. What a heartbreak. Probably he was closer to his mom than anybody and his dad. But his mom, I'm sure, was very special and now she's gone. And we see the first death. And by the way, there's nothing as sobering as your first funeral. I don't remember how old you, you know, you and I might have been. I don't remember exactly how old I was when I went to my first funeral. But I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard about someone dying that really meant something to me. I remember I was in, I think, fifth grade when one of my teachers died, my history teacher. I just saw him the day before. In fact, the morning of his death, I saw him from a distance and we waved at each other. And then he drowned that afternoon. There's nothing as sobering as your first funeral. And and Joseph now has had his first funeral with Deborah, his grandmother's nurse, and now his own mother. I'm sure was completely unexpected. She, She can't be that old. And for her to have died in childbirth, this had to have been a complete devastation to him. Why does God allow these things to happen? Because he's trying to strengthen us in ways that we might not otherwise be strengthened. See, there's, there is strength in sorrow. And when there is struggle, it does build strength. And God's doing something in Joseph's life behind the scene here. So we see in verse 19 that he's lost his mother now. And then, verse 21, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah his father's concubine and Israel heard it now the sons of Jacob were twelve 
Again, there's a lot of stuff going on in this family that's just not right. It's very dysfunctional. There's a lot of ups and downs and turmoils, and I can see this young man, Joseph, turning to God for his solace and his strength in all of this. Verse 23, And the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him of Penanaram. And so those are the 12 tribes of Israel, those 12 sons, and how they came about. Verse 27, And Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is in Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. I can only imagine the days with Isaac must have been special. Grandpa Isaac, the son of Abraham, and the opportunity to, to get to know him a little bit, even in his old age. But verse 28 says, The days of Isaac were in hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And so we see the third death all in one chapter. And we know for a fact that Joseph would have experienced all three of these funerals. All three of these people who were connected to him in special ways have died in his sight and in his presence, and how grievous that must have been, all of them, to lose them. And and death hurts, and uh, it brings great sorrow. And we don't know exactly why uh, things happen the way they do, especially when we're just a young man. You expect to lose your grandparents, but your mother, that's different. And, and we see this happen. I mean, his mother died giving childbirth to his younger brother, but his grandpa didn't die until he was, what, 180 years old? I mean, that's pretty young for his mom to have died then and how that heartbreak must have affected him. But the box at the bottom of the page says, God used sorrow to build Joseph into the man he desired for him to be. You know, some suffering is caused by sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, you reap what you sow. And by the way, reaping what you sow doesn't have to be bad because if you sow good, you'll reap good. But since we know we sow bad, all of us sin, we reap what we sow bad. We, 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 we reap negative, but we can reap positive. But sin is not, excuse me, suffering is not always caused by sin. Sin is not the only reason we suffer. Sometimes much suffering is allowed by God to temper us for future things, to temper us for future fullness or usefulness that God has for us. And God's tempering this young man, Joseph, here. It wasn't Leah that died. It wasn't anybody else's bro- brothers whose mother died. It was just Joseph and little baby Benjamin that wouldn't have a clue what's going on. So Joseph has no brother that will even feel sorry for him. <clears throat> it's just him and God in a heartbreak and, and his father. But God allows those things. Now, I, I want to show you a couple pa- places where I know God allows those things for a reason. First of all, Isaiah... 57. Isaiah chapter 57, it, it says some things about suffering and about what God's will is and what he's doing. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with them also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That word contrite means bruised, softened, wounded. He dwells with the 
humble and broken spirit. Psalms talks about how that he 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 blesses and and desires us to be of a broken and contrite heart. He says, "Thou wilt not despise." Again, I think parents and grandparents make a big mistake in trying to protect children from heartbreak. I'm not saying that we should ever try to break our kids' hearts. We probably do without trying. But you know something? Sometimes God allows us to have heartbreak for a reason. And he dwells with them, the humble and contrite spirit. He has a special desire and fulfillment for them. That's why he allowed it. Isaiah 48 and verse 10. Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. You know what refining is. Refining means that you've been purged and you've, been, you've gone through some kind of a fire. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And God knew that his young man, Joseph, was going to go through some more furnaces of affliction called Egypt. And the furnace of affliction in Egypt was going to have to be handled, and it could only be handled by Joseph at a young teenage age, learning some lessons and some heartbreaks. One reason why God allows us to go through heartbreaks is to prove to us that he's still God even in the heartbreak. And we can get through it, and it's okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I was talking to someone just the other day who just randomly walked into my office and started to talk to me. This person has a lot of problems. This person has addiction issues. But in the conversation, they started crying, and I started to hear them talk about their father who is dead. And I started to understand that this person's grieving and they've turned to drugs and alcohol and other things to the answer for their grief. That's not the answer for your grief. When God has allowed you to have a broken heart, it's so that you'll get closer to him, not farther away from him. The, the, the answer is not to turn to some drug or alcohol. The answer is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh. He had this, some, we don't know for sure what it was, if it was a literal thorn in this flesh. I would think they'd have been able to remove it if it was. But I think it was more some other thing that was called a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed and asked God for it to be removed. He prayed three times, and it says in verse 9 that God answered him instead and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. God has hurt so much, but my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so then at the middle of the verse, Paul starts talking, and he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God doesn't necessarily take all of our problems away. There's nothing wrong with the Apostle Paul at that point. He hasn't done anything wrong. There isn't anything you'll ever find in the Bible about Joseph doing one thing wrong. And yet Joseph has had heartbreak after heartbreak. Why? Because God's building somebody. God is refining somebody. You can't be hardened steel unless you've gone through the furnace. That's just how it works. And God is doing this in Joseph's life. And so this is strength out of sorrow. This is God strengthening someone through heartache and heartbreak. I'm grieved with our young people. We had a lot of, we had, I think we had a van full today. Young people. It's grieving to me to stop and think about 
what they go through. I don't even understand it. I'll be honest with you. I don't understand what it's like to have to have a dad here and a mom there and somebody yelling at you who's not even a biological relative of you. But you know what? I sure am glad Joseph's in the Bible because Joseph had a messed up home too. And Joseph had brothers that didn't really care about him, obviously. Joseph lost his mom when he was still a young boy. And I'm grieved when I see our young people. But you know what? The answer is not government welfare. The government doesn't fix anything. The answer is not for everybody to be equalized and everything to be made fair. No, the answer is to realize God's got a reason. God, God is doing something with these young people. He wants to. You say, God's, God did it? No, God allowed it. He allowed it. Satan said, I want to mess with him. And God signed off on it because he knows he's got a bigger plan. Now, do you reap what you sow? Yeah. And so in a lot of cases, especially in our world, families reap what parents have sown. But children still can get out of that and follow God. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord can take me up. And Joseph lost his mother and then was soon to be separated from his father for about 13 years. No, 20 years. God knows what he's doing. And God knew that Joseph was going to need to rely on him and God wanted him to. So we see three points today before we are done. The strength that came out of sorrow caused Joseph to place the proper emphasis on life. When someone close to us dies, it causes us to think of the opportunities that are ours and just to be alive. And I'll, I'll tell you right, right now, I'm sure it's true for you. First funeral I ever went to, I realized, wow, I just saw them yesterday. Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because at the funeral, you'll think about it. You'll think about life. You won't think about life at a party. You won't think, that won't, that won't, you don't think about that. Because of the death of his loved ones, Joseph had an occasion as a young man to place the proper emphasis on life and to consider the preciousness and value of life. And so as a young man, Joseph saw how wonderful and grand it was just to be alive. Joseph understood how precious and how precarious even childbirth is. His mother died during it. In Genesis 37 and verse 23 Genesis thirty-seven twenty-three. it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And as awful as that is, at least he could say, but I'm still alive. At least God has spared my life. This is awful, but God's kept me alive for a reason. We find Joseph being thrown into a pit by his brothers and being sold as a slave. We follow him into Egypt as he is cast into prison. And it seems as if everything's going wrong. However, God had put something in his life as a young man that helped him to carry on. At least I'm still alive. God's doing something very unusual in my life because if he was really mad at me, he'd have just killed me by now, I think. But he didn't kill me. Instead, he's teaching me something. And I'm still alive. And there must be a reason why. God worked to enable him to place the proper emphasis on life. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, these things are examples and there are, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. 
And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. And Joseph's learning that. God's not going to allow you to go through something unless he thinks you're able to handle it. And Joseph, he knew, could handle it. When you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you know what you find in chapter 50? The ten brothers are saying, okay, he must have been waiting for dad to die so that he could finally zap us with lightning. You know why they thought that? Because that's exactly what they'd have done if they'd have been Joseph. They never were tempered like Joseph was. They never had to go through things and understand that Joseph learned how to value life and to appreciate life. Break, a broken heart causes you to be a little more soft towards other people. And so he was gracious and forgiving to his brothers in the end because of past sorrows that he'd learned from. He saw life differently because of his broken heart. Secondly, the strength that came out of sorrow caused Joseph to place the proper emphasis on his loved ones. When you lose your mother as a teenager, you realize how how precarious life is and you might not see your loved ones next week like you thought. When someone who love who, who we love dies, most of the time we think of something we would have liked to have done or for that loved one or with that loved one, don't we? As Joseph faced the deaths of Deborah and then his grandfather Isaac, but his own mother Rachel especially, he had the opportunity to think about how precious and wonderful they meant to him and were to him, his grandparents, his mother. Sometimes God allows trouble and heartache to show us how important our families truly are. God can speak to us through sorrow to place the proper emphasis on our loved ones. If you ever intend to do anything to express the love you have for your family members, do it now. Hug your children and honor your parents. I don't think Joseph had to regret the last thing he said to his dad before he ended up thrown in a pit and sold as a slave. But probably he thought about how much he had planned to do or was hoping to do. Maybe next weekend they were going fishing. I don't know. And now it's all gone. And he wasn't going to, and as far as he knew at age 17, he might not ever see his father again. But he learned to appreciate life and he learned to appreciate his loved ones to the point where when he finally did see his brothers, he even appreciated them when he could learn to trust them again, when it all came boiling to, to a head and, and he found out that jo, Judah was actually sorry and, and, and brokenhearted and, and he realized that these guys have changed. They're not what they used to be and he even loved them. He demonstrated that by not killing them. And so what time did is it taught him to appreciate even his brothers. Now he he kind of messed with them a little bit just to, just to test them out, but he appreciated his brothers. And he showed them. He demonstrated them. He loved them. He was just happy to see them. If you read the story as we went through it fast last week, there were several times where he just had to run and cry because he was so brokenhearted over the whole thing. He just had to go into his room and just weep and then wash his face and come out and talk to him. And especially when he saw his baby brother, who he hadn't seen since he was just a little guy, and now he's a full-grown young man, and he just hugged him and wept on his neck. 
And so there's a reason why God does things. It helps us to appreciate our loved ones and, and helps us to teach others to do so also. A proper emphasis on life, a proper emphasis on loved ones. And then the strength that came out of sorrow caused Joseph to place the proper emphasis on the Lord himself. God allows things to come into our lives that cause us to place the proper emphasis on the Lord. And sometimes those things are sorrowful. When Joseph saw his loved ones die, he had opportunity to think about people dying and standing before God. I wonder, don't you think maybe Joseph thought about, where's, where's mom now? Where's mom at now? Where, where is, where's mom at? There's always a, a good reason why God allows bad things to happen. What's going on now? When Joseph saw them die, he thought about standing before, it, before the Lord. He thought of God, and he learned to place the proper emphasis on the Lord. He, he, he probably thought about heaven and the longing to go to heaven like we have in our songbook. What is it, 827 or 877? It says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So when Joseph got to Egypt, he never seemed to be overly mesmerized by Egypt, even though Egypt was the greatest city in the world. And he became the almost the most powerful person in the world next to Pharaoh. And yet Joseph seemed to have a heavenly attitude because of what's transpired in his life, to think about God. Notice what Joseph said. And I, and I know I mentioned it last week, but I want you to see it again. Chapter 39. Before I read this in chapter 39, I quoted it once already, but I want to just quote it to you again from Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Oops, not Psalm 27. Uh-oh. I might not be able to find what I was quoting. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Maybe it is Psalm 27. There it is, verse 10. Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and mother and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. His mom is dead. His dad thinks he's dead. And who's he got? No matter how bad you've got it, no matter how bad the children that come to our church have it, or maybe someone else that we know has it, God will take them up. And that's exactly what God did for Joseph. Joseph couldn't call dad. Joseph couldn't tell on his bad brothers. He couldn't go tattle on his bad brothers. He couldn't do that. He couldn't go to the Egyptian law court and say, you've got to understand what happened to me. They weren't going to listen. He's got one person, but that one person was enough, and that was God. And what's fascinating to me as a young man, he's 17 when he's sold. He's what, maybe 18, 19? He might not even be 20 years old when this story happens, but he gets sold into Potiphar's house. And Mrs. Potiphar decides that she likes him. And she's trying to proposition him and she is making moves to try to get him to do wrong and to commit adultery. And Joseph flat out refused, verse 8. And the end of verse 9, he says, how can I do this great wickedness? Because if I do it, surely I'm going to get caught. That's not what he said. How can I do this great wickedness? Because my dad will find my dad's not my dad doesn't even think I'm alive. Why does that matter what he thinks? 
How can I do this great wickedness? Your, your, your husband might. No, I, I don't think it was the fear of her husband or the fear. It was the fear of God. Which is impressive when you realize that this young man's been sold as a slave and as far as he's concerned, his life is over. And yet he hasn't forgotten or forsaken God. There's a lot of people that get mad at God when things don't go well. I mean, I mean, let's face it. If you got sold as a slave into Egypt and no one even thought you existed anymore and you're living your life as a slave, would you say, praise the Lord, life is so great. Would you keep going to church? Would you keep trusting God? He did. And when she tried to proposition him, he said, no, I can't sin against God. She might have said, God, <laughs> what's your God doing for you? But see, the strength that was built in his life because of sorrow, he got closer to the Lord. I've been talking about our young people in our church, and since they're not in here, some of them, I'm just going to say it this way. I know for a fact that we've got some young, young teenagers that are closer to God because of the sorrow in their life. And I wouldn't wish their sorrow on anyone but I praise God for it. There are young people in Custer County whose parents have never split up, but their children aren't as close to God as some of the kids in this building right now. And they are learning through these teenage years to trust God and to stand up against temptation. And that's a good thing. And so the strength that came out of the sorrow in Joseph's life, it taught him about life. It taught him about loved ones. And it taught him about the Lord. And as we see Joseph being sold into Egypt and placed in the prison, remember that as a young man, he learned to keep his eyes on Lord. So what happened? Oh, well, she turned him in. She made up a story. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, she falsely accused him. That never happens today. Ask Julie Freimuller. And she turned him in, and so then all of a sudden he gets thrown into prison. So if he hadn't said it already, he could have easily said, Oh, great, God. I even said to her, I can't sin against God. I thought for sure you'd have like a ray of light going, and then all of a sudden you just like zap me home. Since I did this, I mean, I, this was, I'm a 19 year old kid and this woman's propositioning me and I stand up for you and you throw me into prison. What kind of a God am I serving? He didn't say any of that. Chapter 41. He spends his time in prison. He meets some guys in prison. He interprets their dream. And the Bible, I skipped, it, I skipped over chapter, in the end of chapter 39, chapter 40, but it says, and God was still with him. And God still pray, uh, prospered him and made everything that he did to prosper because Joseph never cursed God in all of this. And chapter 41. We see that Pharaoh has a dream. And finally, Pharaoh finds out 
you know, there's this guy in prison. He, uh, he interprets dreams. Maybe we should go uh, talk to him. And so they bring Joseph out. They give him, they give him a clean shave. They bathe him. They, they uh, dress him up nice and put on nice clothes. And he stands before Pharaoh, and he begins to hear the dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to him, I hear that you can interpret dreams. Now, if I've got the opportunity, if, there, if there's a real good chance I might get out of prison for good, I might be like, yeah, yeah, Pharaoh, I'm, I'm like the best there is. He didn't, he didn't say anything about himself. Verse 16, he said, and Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not me. It's true that I have interpreted some dreams, but it wasn't me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He's still bragging on his God. His God that's had him in prison for who knows how long. He learned to trust God in all this. And when he stood before the most powerful man in the world, he talked about his God. He's learning to keep his eyes on the Lord and God sustained him in the darkest hours. The the sorrow that God allowed to enter Joseph's life opened his heart and allowed God to speak to him about placing the proper the placing the priority on the Lord. And that's what struggle does. That's what sorrow does. It either drives us closer to the Lord or away from him. And it's a real test. It tests us and indicates things about us. So the box says, God does use sorrow, trouble, and heartache to help us to see that we must trust the Lord. We're going to stop there. We'll pick it up again next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that Joseph's in the Bible. He's such a great example. He's such an encouragement and a reminder We flippantly and and, and very quickly read over his story without realizing how many years and how many sorrows and how many heartbreaks there really were. And Lord, help us to learn from it and to really understand that that's what you're doing in our lives too. You're trying to, you're wanting to test us and prove to ourselves and to others what's there. Help us to allow you to win. Help us to allow you to be God and to submit even to the bad things or the things we don't like and to quit worrying about what's fair and just let you be the final judge of everything. Help us to trust you the way Joseph did. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.